0: Hi everyone, my name is Jonathan Peterson. I'm the Sabbath School Superintendent at Coffs Harbour Seventh-day Adventist Church and I'm pleased to be able to share with you some thoughts on this week's Sabbath School lesson, lesson 2, second quarter 2021. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for your covenant and we ask that you give us a deeper understanding into the purpose of your covenant and the covenants in the past that you've made and how they affect us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, this week's lesson is called Covenant Primer and it's kind of a summary of the whole quarter. And so we're going to have a look at a range of different covenants. So let's start with the question, what is a covenant? Well, essentially a covenant is an agreement between two parties, like a contract. Now, all of us get into, some, get into contracts during our lives. Prime example would be if you're going to build a house, Contract with a bank if you're taking out a loan to borrow money for a house. Contract with a landlord if you want to rent a house. In these contracts, each party has a, an obligation and we usually sign the contract. It's written on paper, we sign it and we agree to fulfill what that contract says our obligation will be. Like a business deal, and we enter into them for the most part voluntarily and they are mutually beneficial. So, for example, in a tenancy contract, if I'm renting, if I, I enter the contract as a tenant uh, because I need somewhere to live. But the landlord enters into the contract because they want to receive money, rental income, for the property that they own. So it's mutually beneficial. Why do people enter into, into contracts? As I just said, because they get something out of it. Now, we have to ask the question, when we're talking about God entering into a covenant or a contract, what does he get out of it and what do... His people get out of it as well. So we'll explore that a little bit more. Now, the other question I've got is this. How do you choose who you're going to enter a contract with? Would you enter into a contract with anyone? And I think this is a question which hasn't been explored very much, generally speaking, in our study of biblical covenants. Why does God choose certain people and not choose other people to enter into contracts with? From a worldly perspective, I can say that there's certain people that I would not be willing to enter a contract with. Some people are untrustworthy. Some people can't be relied upon to keep their word. Some people have proven that they are deceitful. Some people can't keep a commitment. So we need to be very careful about who we choose to enter into a contract with. Now, the ultimate example of that, of course, is marriage. If you enter into a contract or a covenant or a commitment with someone, for the rest of your life, you better make sure it's the right person. Otherwise, you're going to have real struggles in that marriage and it may not last. Now, I've just mentioned two different types of contracts. One is a business type of contract and the other is a marriage. Now, when we're looking at God's covenants that he's made, it should really be compared more to a marriage because God's covenant is based on a personal relationship. I can ask a builder to do something for me, to build a house for me, but uh, have no personal relationship with that builder. Whereas in a marriage contract, there's a much deeper and more intimate level of relationship. So that is the type of contract that God enters into with his people. It's not a business relationship. It's a relation. It's a, sorry, it's not a business-based covenant. It is a marriage-based covenant where relationship the priority relationship is the foundation of the covenants that God chooses to enter into on Sunday we have a look at some of the basic elements of the covenant now I was surprised that the word covenant what the lesson tells us is mentioned 287 times in the Bible it's quite a lot so obviously it's a significant concept and an important theme throughout the Bible and the three things three elements that were mentioned here as part of the basics of the covenants that we are studying is are these. Firstly, that God establishes the covenant with an oath, like marriage. When you get married, you take an oath or you make a vow that you will be committed to this covenant of marriage. The second thing is obedience to the Ten Commandments. Okay, and there's certainly a lot of obedience required. In a marriage relationship, obedience to the principles of marriage, obedience to be faithful. You, know, you, you have these rules of marriage. I will be faithful. I will be there for you. When you're not feeling well, I will take care of you. I will protect you. We expect obedience in a marriage, just as God expects obedience to the Ten Commandments when he enters into a relationship. And number three, the ultimate covenant is uh, the one with Christ. So All other covenants point to the covenant with Christ. Because ultimately, these other covenants that we're going to study provide something temporary, whereas the covenant with Christ provides something eternal. So let's go to Monday's lesson and have a look at the covenant with Noah. And we're going to read Genesis 6, 18. And it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So apparently this is the first use of the word covenant. And I'm going to ask the question that I asked previously. Why did God choose Noah? There were plenty of other people alive at that time. So why did God just single out one man and say, I'm going to make a covenant with you? By doing that, God is choosing to not make a covenant with the thousands, possibly millions of other humans alive at the time. So I suggest here that the the way God chooses the someone to enter into a covenant with, is that person is actually seeking to find God, seeking to follow God, that that person will respond to God. When God offers the covenant, that person will agree to it and will, will be willing to enter into that covenant with God. And I'm sure if God asked many of the other sinners, uh, how the Bible describes the people of that time, their thoughts were evil continually. Continually. Now, if God offered a covenant with them and says, look, I'm going to save you and I'm going to be good to you and bless you and and you just keep following me and obeying me, I don't think they would have listened. That's when you uh, ask someone to marry you. You want to be fairly confident that they're going to say yes. It's a waste of time asking someone to marry you if that person doesn't like you. So there's got to be a willingness of, of that party of the other person to actually enter into the covenant. But not only that, But God has a purpose in establishing this covenant, and that purpose is to restore his relationship with mankind. God does not intend to restore his relationship with those who are in rebellion against him. That doesn't make any sense. He aims to restore his relationship with those who also want to have a restored relationship with God. Notice also in this verse here, Genesis 6 verse 18, two important words, and they are, I will. What this tells us is that God commits to doing something. We also notice that God initiated this covenant and then God committed to doing something. I will establish my covenant with you. And as we continue to read on, the essence of the covenant was, I'm going to save you. The rest of the world and all the humans in it will be destroyed. But I'm going to save you and your family are going to to start again for me. You're going to start the uh, repopulation of the earth again because the others have gone too far. And this is another point that's worth emphasizing. There seems to come a time where God indicates that people have gone too far in their sin, that they won't repent. And at those times, he's willing to bring destruction upon them. We find that in the days of Noah. We find that in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we also find that in the time of Egypt with Moses. And we may even see that in the time of Abram as well. And we'll certainly see it at the end of time when Christ comes back. And he just knows some people have gone too far in their sin. They're not going to repent. Their hearts are against me. Their thoughts are evil continually. It's almost like he gives up hope on them. But he chooses to establish his covenant with certain people who are willing to enter into that covenant and to to live in a right relationship with God. What was Noah being saved from? We think he was being saved from the flood, but I don't think that's really what he was being saved from. The flood was the way God chose to execute judgment. God didn't have to execute that judgment. What Noah was really being saved from was a world so overcome by sin that it was just a horrible place to live in. So God was saving Noah out of a a wicked and evil society. And he chose to do that by bringing the flood and destroying those who were in rebellion against him. Let's go to Tuesday and have a look at Abram. Genesis 12, to 3. Let's read that together. Now, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, an interesting parallel here is this. God separated Noah from the wicked who were around him. God is doing the same here. He's separating Abram from his family. Verse two, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Once again, we have the emphasis on God saying, I will, here are the things I'm going to do for you. What was God saving Abram from? The clue is, get out of your country. Get away from your family. And what we find as we read through the stories of Abram is that his community, his society, were idol worshippers. And it wasn't conducive to forming a a closer relationship with God to be amongst idol worshippers. They would always be tempting him to turn away from God. Now, once again... Why did God choose Abram and not other people in the community? It's because the other people in community were in rebellion against God. They had no intention of following God, no desire. It would be like a man going up to a woman that hates him and says, will you marry me? The answer is no. Why would he bother? What God saw in Abram was someone who wanted to enter into a relationship with him, someone who was willing to obey him, someone who was seeking him with his heart. And so God says, Get away from your family so that we can actually develop this relationship without the distraction of a false religion. Without the family can pull you away from God if your family is ungodly. So God's saying, I need you away from the, your family who are going to bring you down. They're going to be a distraction. who are going to be a hindrance to developing your relationship. Now, Abraham needed a lot of faith. This is another element. He needed a lot of faith to enter into this covenant. And, and I, we can say the same for Noah build a massive boat. Imagine the amount of faith that took. It took him 120 years to build it, so long. And he had to have faith that God would do what he said he was going to do. You know, what if the flood comes and the boat capsizes? What if the flood comes and the design isn't that good? The design that God gave me, there's all kinds of doubt that could have crept into Noah's head. So he had to have faith that God will keep his end of the bargain. Similarly, Abram is going to, he doesn't even know where. God just says, go. I'm going to take you somewhere else. Says to a land I will show you. You know, it's nothing clear. And Abraham demonstrated his faith through obedience. And God made great promises to to Abram, promising to make him a great nation, to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. Okay, let's have a look at uh, Wednesday. Moses. This, of course, is the story of the Exodus. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. This is a clue here that this covenant with Moses is a continuation of the covenant to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now remember we just read that the covenant to Abra- Abram or Abram Abraham was to give him a land to bless him and then for him to be a blessing to others and so this was to be an extension or continuation if you like. There was a, an interruption to the fulfillment of this covenant because due to famine God's people had to go to Egypt where there was plenty of food. Verse 4 I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I'm just going to emphasize again, verse 7. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage I'm the Lord. So, this is the most times we've seen uh, the use of the word I will. God is emphasizing how reliable He is, His faithfulness, that He is going to keep up His side of the bargain. It's not I might, possibly I'll do this if I get the opportunity. It's a clear I will. And He says it multiple times. Now, what are the people being saved from? Obviously, slavery. And the slavery here is, can be, for us, symbolic of slavery to sin. But he was also saving his people from idolatry because, once again, God's people were surrounded by a nation of idol worshippers. It was a whole complex religion in Egypt. It was, what shall we say, a very detailed religious system that they had established in Egypt. And so it was not good for God's people to be surrounded by that. So in addition to saving them from slavery, he also saved them from being surrounded by false religion. Okay, now we go on to Thursday and we look at the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. This is a new covenant. So far we've had a look at Old Testament covenants with some Old Testament characters. Now he's saying I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. This is different. God's saying this is a different covenant. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So once again, the emphasis on the relationship. He's the husband and his people are the bride. Verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now the initial reference to this was of course the return from exile and God is talking about entering into a more personal, a more intimate relationship with his people. It was because of their rebellion because of their stubbornness, that they were sent into exile. God doesn't want that to happen again. So when he brings them back, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And this time, I'm going to put my law in your minds. I'm going to put my law in your hearts. I'll be your God and you shall be my people. So there's something additional about this covenant, which is going to help his people to keep the covenant. However, unfortunately, we know they failed again. Jesus, when he came, was very disappointed in what he saw. He did see a lot of religious obedience, quite different from the rebellion of former times, but what he saw was hypocritical obedience, was piety without passion. He didn't see authenticity in the religion of the religious leaders at the time. There were plenty of other people who were sincere, but he was quite disappointed in a lot of the religious leaders. Not all of them, as we know. A number of the Pharisees and Sadducees actually became believers. I think sometimes we forget that, we put them all in one group, But it does say that there were a number. It wasn't just Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. There were others as well who were convinced by the words and the miracles of Jesus that he was indeed the Messiah. Now, what I want to do is summarise what we've covered so far by asking these questions. Who was involved in the covenant? Why were they involved in the covenant? What was the covenant? What was God going to do for these people? And how was God going to do that? So the first person we looked at was Noah why did God enter into a covenant with Noah? Because everyone else was evil and God wanted to restore some righteousness in the earth. What was the covenant? I will save you from the flood. I'm going to protect you in a boat. How was the covenant fulfilled? God sent the flood. Noah was safe in the boat. And his family started, started the repopulating the earth all over again, teaching their children to follow God's ways. The second person we looked at was Abram. Why did God enter into covenant with Abram? Because by this time, people had turned away from God again, um, including Abram's community. And God wanted to establish a family, start with one family, like with Noah, start with one family who were going to follow him and represent him on the earth and maintain some kind of righteousness in the earth and be a light to others. What did God promise? This time God promised a land He promised that he would be, that Abram would become a great nation and that he would also be a blessing to others. Now, how was God going to do this? He said to Abram, go, leave your family, leave your town, separate yourself. And then the second part of the covenant was, I'm going to give you children and you're going to teach them to follow my ways. And it actually says God chose Abram because God could trust Abram to teach his children and grandchildren the ways of God. And of course, we know there was a snag in this. It appeared to be a snag in that Abram and Sarah couldn't have children. And that's where God miraculously intervened in order to fulfill his covenant. The third person we looked at was Moses. Why was the covenant necessary? The covenant was necessary to save God's people from slavery and to fulfill the promise that he'd made to Abram, Isaac and Jacob to give them their own land. What was the covenant? The covenant was that I will give you the land of Canaan. How was the covenant fulfilled? Or how did God enact the covenant through a miraculous deliverance from the slave masters, and we know of we know about the ten plagues, crossing the Red Sea, and all the other miracles that followed after that. The fourth uh, one I want to look at now, which I haven't mentioned, is of course the church. God makes a covenant with the church, and the prophecy in Jeremiah thirty-one has been in many instances applied to the church. It applies both to God's people coming back from Babylon after their exile. But it also has been applied to the church. Why? So let's apply this to the church. Why is why does God create this covenant? Because we are slaves to sin. Just like the people in Moses' time were slaves to the Egyptians. We as a race, the whole human race, are slaves to sin. But not only that, just as God wanted to save Paul, Abram, Noah and Moses out of a sinful, idolatrous society, evil and wicked society, God also wants to pull us out of the world, out of the culture. We're told to be in the world, but not of the world. Separate yourselves from the world. So we're to separate from, obviously not from the world, we can't get out of the world, but we're to separate from relationships that would bring us down into sin. What is the covenant? What is offered here? What is offered is eternal life, in the earth restored, as it restored to its original Edenic condition. How does God do this? He does it through the death of Jesus by offering Christ as an atoning sacrifice who pays the penalty for our sins. We are slaves to sin, so there's only one way out. We have to be ransomed, and so Christ is the one who ransoms us. Let's just summarise. I want to highlight seven points which summarise our lesson today or summarize the concept of the covenant so so i found seven elements in this week's lesson about covenants the first one is this in all instances we find that god initiates the covenant god initiates the covenant the second thing is this god makes promises he says i will and then god we've seen in every instance fulfills the promises that he makes three All of the covenants require some kind of salvation, save from slavery, save from wickedness, save from an idolatrous community. Number four, we didn't talk about this much, but it was mentioned briefly. In all of the covenants, God requires obedience. God requires us, whoever he's entering the covenant, to obey him. So it's not a one-way street. It's not just God saying, I'm going to do all this for you and you can just do whatever you want. God says, I will do this for you, but I expect something of you. So with Noah, he had to build the ark. That was his obedience. With Abram, he had to leave his country. That was his obedience. And with us, of course, God expects us to follow his ways, to obey his laws. Point number five, faith is required. There's some kind of faith that... God's actually going to send a flood and this boat's going to be useful. Faith that God knows where he's taking me because I don't know where I'm going. He just says, go and I'll show you the land. Faith that Pharaoh's not going to kill me when I approach him and say, let my people go. Faith that God's got a plan because I've got no idea how to let the people go. And finally, faith in the work of Christ on the cross. Faith that what he has done is sufficient to pay our debt. Point number six is this. All of the covenants that God enters into are based on relationship. Remember I said there's a business covenant and then there's the marriage covenant. In the business covenant, usually there's no personal relationship. It's certainly not necessary at all. But the kind of relationship that God has with his people is based on relationship. He wants to connect at a personal level with his people. And point number seven is this. All Covenants that you can find in the scriptures, all covenants are actually shadows of the final covenant that God has made with his people. And that is the covenant of salvation through Christ. God says, I will redeem you, I will save you, I will give my life to save you. And so we can find in these previous covenants aspects which point us to the ultimate covenant. Now, the reason that is the ultimate covenant is because all the others. Offered temporary things. Oh, I'm going to give you some land. I'm going to give you descendants, and so on. I'm going to save you from the flood. They're just temporary things. But we don't want the temporary. Ultimately, we want the eternal. And so, it's only in Christ that we find eternal life. That we find our desire to be in communion with God for all eternity fulfilled. That's the only way. The ultimate purpose of all the covenants which as I said, lead up to and point to the new covenant with Christ, the ultimate purpose of God establishing covenants is to restore the broken relationship between God and man, is to restore harmony between God and man. God, it still boggles my mind, why God, sometimes why God bothers. It's hard to understand. He could have just destroyed Adam and Eve and started again. He could have destroyed this planet and said, oh, I'm just gonna create a new planet. This is a waste of time particularly when we know that he could see all of the sin that was going to happen on the planet. Why does God do this? Why does he put so much time and effort into restoring the relationship with humanity? And there's only one answer, and the answer is love. He loves us, and that is the motive for everything God does. When God enters into a relationship with anyone, it's because he loves them. He wants to be in harmony with them. He wants to be in a beautiful relationship with them and he wants that for all eternity. We have an amazing God and I'm just so grateful that we've been able to study this concept of the covenant because it allows us to get a deeper understanding of God's purposes and God's love. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have entered into a covenant with us and help us, Lord, to be obedient to you, to be grateful for what you've offered us and to tell others that you also want to enter into a relationship with them. Thank you so much that Jesus died for us and that through his death we can be restored to you and live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.